0: Welcome to Salty Moms Gone Sober. Whether you are a sober, curious, salty individual, can't seem to stay on the wagon, or have some successful sober time under your belt, our podcast creates a safe and comfortable space to let it all out. We can't guarantee anything but a good time and chill vibes. With a dash of humor, genuine language of the heart, and a salty true throat punch here and there, Connect with us on this unpredictable wave of sobriety. And when we find ourselves choking on a mouthful of saltiness, let's stop waiting to exhale and just spit some truth. Without further ado, your hosts, Alyssa Gruskin and Brie Juarez.
1: And is the recording studio burning down?
0: We're going to Katie Mammal's! guys. So tonight we have Laura Mae Lucas, who's here to share her story of addiction, recovery, and hope. And, you know, we're pretty grateful for you to be here tonight. If you want to go ahead and take over and start sharing your story.
1: Hey. um, Yeah. So I'm Laura Mae. Um, I've been sober for almost seven years. My sobriety date was on Christmas Eve of 2015. And it really, my sobriety journey really began a year prior to that when I first attempted to get sober. That first attempt didn't really take because I didn't do anything to support my recovery. I just thought being sober was quitting the substance. So I didn't uh, go to any meetings or any, I didn't take care of my mental health. I just put down the substance and
0: was hoping that that's was, what would
1: oh. keep me sober, but that didn't end up happening. And then finally, I arrived at my sobriety date uh, that on that day. So anyway, at that time, I worked for a cleaning company, and I had a daily routine of waking up at. 4am each morning, not able to go back to sleep because I was sweaty and my heart was racing and I was on the verge of a panic attack. And the my anxiety was so high every day. I knew it was from my repeated drinking every night, drinking so much I'd be hungover the next day. But the day I actually decided to get sober, I actually, I had a panic attack at work and I ended up laying on the floor of, of someone's house. I didn't even know who they were. I I was just cleaning for them. And I said a prayer, and I didn't even know to what or to who I was praying, but I just knew that I was done with that lifestyle and that I needed to change. That's what, that's really when my sobriety journey started when I made that decision. But leading up to that, leading up to that, the weekend before, I had gotten into a altercation with a man at a convenience store next to my house. And that was actually like a a physical fight that had never happened to me before. And then also that weekend, I got locked out of a friend's house in the middle of Jackson Ward late at night because apparently I made, I made out with someone's boyfriend. And so I'd say my life at that point was a complete and total wreck. I was also calling out of work quite often. So my whole routine was I'd stay like pretty, I'd say these are air quotes, but balanced (laughs) throughout the week, limiting my drinking to like maybe four max beers. And then I would save my heavy drinking for the weekend. And I would end up binging over the weekend, partying, waking up, doing it all over again. And then Come Monday, I would feel just so bad and still like just so wrecked from the weekend that I would end up calling out of work. And then work would start asking me, why are you calling out so much? And eventually I explained to them, I think, I might have a drinking problem, and I was honest with them, and they were willing to work with me, uh, which was actually pretty nice. But (laughs) so, uh, leading up to the relapse that I had, it was some unresolved mental health issues and terrible decision making combined. I had moved in with a man that I only knew for two weeks. We decided to buy a trailer and live in someone's backyard with two dogs, and we got engaged. I was depressed and anxious and codependent and he was depressed anxious and avoidant so it was not a good combo people to together in a small space not knowing each other very long and I had also been kind of fantasizing about romanticizing fantasizing about drinking again and I think that was like the first sign I was about to have a relapse and I kept telling myself if I can always go back to drinking if things don't work out which they didn't work out so that's exactly what I did it actually took me several months to get sober again and the whole expression, once you quit your substance, it's actually doing push-ups uh, or something. I'm sure I'm messing up that saying, but it's definitely true. Like, I went completely back to drinking, only it got way worse. Um, I went from zero to 100. I just immediately started drinking day to night. I know for a fact I was drinking to cover up the pain from the breakup because I really didn't learn any coping skills during that time. Yeah, and anytime I tried to quit drinking, I would get shaky and nauseous and my body would actually need the alcohol to function. So there were times at this, actually at this time, I ended up starting my own cleaning service. And so I worked for myself, luckily at this point, but I would bring small bottles of wine in with my cleaning supplies. And drink those throughout the day just so I get through the day. I started going to several doctors uh, just to see if there was anything anyone could do for me because I had the physical symptoms of of alcoholism and I kept getting turned away. Um, I think they thought I was looking for medications or something. There was really no one that could help me. I looked at other places too that they just cost way too much money and I didn't have any money to pay for it. At one point, I ended up calling the AA hotline and they told me to try to go to Tucker's. So that's what I did. And when I got to the hospital, uh, they asked me if I was suicidal and I said I'm not. So they wouldn't admit me and I couldn't bring myself to say that I was suicidal because I definitely wasn't. So I just really had nowhere to go at that point. So I really had to kick it on my own. And that was some of the worst uh, physical withdrawal that I've Effort gone through. Sorry, I'm a little like tearing up about that. But yeah, I when I got to my parents house that Christmas Eve, my sobriety date, I pretty much drank the entire way there. I took the train. I was drinking the whole way there. When I got to my mom's, I convinced her to give me one last glass of wine. I remember my exact last drink. <laughs> and that was it. Going through that withdrawal, um, having like mild hallucinations, feeling completely nauseous, having like 110% anxiety and shake is the worst feeling you could ever experience.
0: To interject here, Laura May, I so I had a medical detox in a psych ward and I still experienced hallucinations. And I mean, I was hearing things, I was trying to pull my eyeballs out, I had spiders crawling on me, and the devil was chasing me. And although those were, you know, to other people, not real, because that wasn't happening to them. It was so real to me. And that was under a medical detox. So... I can't even, like, to hear you telling that part of your story and tearing up about it, you know, like, I mean, rightfully so, because that forever changed my life, and so I can only imagine without having the booty juice and, like, strapping me down to my bed and putting me to sleep for hours after that, you had to, like, still keep going and going, you know, and so that emotion behind that is that's some fucking real shit right there and you don't ever have to apologize for that because that is what things like that saying that remembering that is what keeps us humble we never want to be there again
1: right yeah I never want to go through the physical symptoms I went through and yeah makes it that much harder to stop because you know that a drink would help like a drink would make all of that go away like it feels like your heart is about to explode out of your chest just one drink would would alleviate all of that but you have to keep pushing through which we do
0: not recommend to any of our listeners um, especially with alcohol a non medicated detox yes some can get through it but it is the highest percentage detox of uh, fatalities. So please consult a physician if you are looking to do that. You do hear random stories where people do survive, such as Laura May, but it's very rare. It's very rare. So, what did it look like after that? After, you know, you had that year where you were kind of on and off, on and off, and then you had this epiphany. Because you went through this horrible detox experience and, you know, your family at this point knew you promised them pretty much like I'm done. This is my last drink. I'm not doing this anymore. Were you with your family during your detox or had you come back to Richmond?
1: Yes, I was with my family and it was the worst Christmas <laughs> for everyone ever. Um, yeah. And we were even talking about putting me in a, um, a home, a recovery house is the term. And so I was looking into getting into a, re- a recovery house. We were calling places to see what was available. And every single one said, yeah, there's room. The requirements requirement for this is for you to go to meeting every single day, etc. You have to be in the recovery program, etc. The only problem with going into a recovery house for me was I had my dog and I was not about to leave her. And I know like recovery is more important than your pet. But for me at that time, I was let me just try going to meetings and having a discussion with the people I live with about putting alcohol in a place that that I can't reach or get to or where it's not like laying around everywhere. So I ended up going route. I made it my mission to start going to a uh, meeting every single day and I immediately found a sponsor and I found a home group. I started doing the program and I stayed very dedicated to that because I knew I couldn't do sobriety way i did it before because it wasn't going to work that way building my life back up was it was quite a slow build because I kind of at that point lost everything. I was almost even kicked out of the house I was living in because I wasn't working, so I wasn't able to pay rent. I lost all of my cleaning clients because I took so much time off to get sober. So I didn't really have any money to my name, didn't really have a place to live. I really didn't have a job. So I kind of just had to build my life back up from scratch. I started with getting a job at One of the cleaning companies I worked at before. And then I started going to therapy and dealing with all the underlying issues that caused me to drink. And then I also started volunteering for after-school art programs to teach children art, basically. just I was trying to do anything I could to keep myself occupied, to be of service to others, and to stay, you know, keep my mind busy, keep growing spiritually, and as a person, just in general. And at that time, I was also very interested in like health and nutrition. I was like newly sober and I kind of wrecked my body from all the drinking and and neglect and uh, smoking and everything. Like I definitely wasn't in shape, but <laughs> I wanted to start getting into it. And I had done a lot of like research on nutrition and on working out. And I thought it could be like a fun life and career. <laughs> Transition to move into personal training. So I started just casually pursuing a personal training certification and I sat on that for a year. I proceeded to just clean houses for a while until I built up enough courage to actually apply for my first personal training job. Laura
0: May. I think I remember having a conversation with you about this at my home group Awakenings because we, my undergrad is in, it's community health, physical education, you know, things like that. And you and I kind of hit it off talking about, about that. And you told me what you were working on doing and how excited you were, but also how there was a lot of fear there. There There's a lot of fear. And even though it was something you're so passionate about, like you talked about it as if you were like, could already be doing it. And then I didn't see you for a while after that. And I don't know, I won't ever forget that conversation because you you were you were like emotionally attached to this idea of, hey, this is this could be a future for me. This could be bring happiness to me and helping others and good for my body all around a positive thing and like fear's a bitch, you know, and sometimes it takes us longer to accomplish those goals. But you fucking stuck to it, man. Yeah, and I think
1: the thing that was really keeping me from pursuing that goal and that dream was I just didn't really see any, any other person like myself in the fitness industry at the time. I wasn't what you would imagine a personal trainer looked like. Um, and my approach to fitness and wellness is to move your body for the sake of health and not trying to look a certain way. So that's, uh, that's really how I got into power lifting and, and lifting in general, because It was really fun to see how my body can perform. And with the powerlifting people I've met, no one really cares what you look like. It's how much can you lift, bro? That's what's important. Um, Even that, tying yourself worth to any amount on the scale or amount that you can lift or whatever is not never a good idea. But
0: yeah, it seems like it's more about kind of like a camaraderie thing where cheering each other on to see can is she gonna lift this next weight up and like when you do it and because it happens so fast and you do it and it comes down and it's just like people are like clapping and you're like fuck yeah I did it and I unless you're in that I don't know if you people quite understand that satisfaction and that self-esteem building self-motivation self-efficacy and then you've got your passerbys that are seeing this happen too that could easily be inspired by something like that and so I can definitely see how how that is how that could be really appealing to someone especially when you see yourself as a little bit of an alternative perhaps person comparatively to societal personal trainers.
1: For sure. And going back to your point about competing for me, it's definitely it's not to be stronger than the next person. It's to be stronger than I was before. And I think that also kind of applies to anything in life. It's not really about being better than the next person. It's about being your better self the next day or the next opportunity and that's kind of how I live my life now is just facing challenges that way you can push yourself out of that comfort zone and and step into a little fear there's always something good waiting for you on the other side of that
0: absolutely and do you think would you say that that goes hand in hand with your re- your success and recovery
1: definitely because there's times where you have to face challenges and you have to do it sober and you actually have to feel your emotions you can't just cover them up and there's so many times I've thought to myself wow this would be so much easier if I were a normal drinker and I could just have have a drink that is not my reality and honestly I would choose feeling all my feelings than being able to numb them out because I think that's what experiencing life is all about is to feel the entire spectrum of feeling so to deny myself of that I don't think that's actually living
0: Yeah it's important to to feel that ick to feel the ugliness to feel, to feel the anger and feel the self doubt and be honest with yourself get move past it that's the only way to move past it is kind of like say these feelings that you might have and then it's like wow okay I got that out of the way you know like I would have never done that before I would have never said that before I would have I would have pushed those emotions down and then gone with the ones that are like okay to manage but when you do let the ugly out, you make room for the pretty. Yeah, very true. Which brings me to some of the amazing outreach that you do here locally in Richmond and just to name a few you as as the executive director of Richmond Strong the fundraisers that you guys do with powerlifting like dressing up for Halloween things, the Halloween lift like really exciting fun stuff and are, are putting these together and planning them and putting them on and following through and people are enjoying them. The pictures on your Instagram, like fun that people are having and this idea of keep lifting weird that you kind of came up with. Us maybe alternative people that don't look like your normal gym rat or whatever, you know, there's like math equations and we're smart and we're... All these things and we might be a little different, but damn fucking straight, we're going to keep lifting weird. And like, I love that shit. What made yeah. you think of that?
1: Um, I think it was a, a combination of just things evolving in their own way. So Richmond Strong, that's an organization that I founded. I did actually start that with a former coach of mine. It started as a monthly meetup group where really our mission was to bring people into the gym who otherwise felt marginalized in a traditional fitness space, such as women, LGBTQ plus, us, people of color, etc. These spaces are largely run by white men. And so we're we're trying to make that the gym space a safe space, make it feel welcoming for for people who feel like they can't come into a space like that. And the best way to make gym space feel welcoming is to teach them how to do certain movements so that when they come in, they kind of know what they're already doing. So we would teach a couple lifts, maybe like, I think one day we had Olympic weightlifting we did like a a strongman where everyone got to play around with some of the implements and so we ended up we're doing these once a month and we decided to instead of doing monthly we would do larger events and then do some like fundraising with all the proceeds so our first event was actually a full powerlifting meet and um, that ended up getting canceled due to the pandemic but long story short we ended up up having several full power, full power powerlifting meets. Um, now it's going to be a total of two strongman events, and then we definitely plan on having more in the future. But we also help out with Pull for Pride, which is a national organization that holds LGBTQ plus fundraising events throughout the country. So we hosted a couple of them each year here in Richmond, Virginia. And that was also like very influential on how Having some events of our own for sure but yeah we also because of the pandemic the gym that we were at closed down we ended up moving a bunch of equipment over to another space that was it was okay but it wasn't really the space that we ultimately wanted but about a year later I was offered an opportunity to open up a new space that would be an LGBTQ plus um, inclusive space also a very body positive just like come as you are, fitness space that incorporates art as well. Um, So I ended up purchasing that equipment and then bringing bringing the equipment into that space. And so we kind of also like we run together. We're like a little pack. We've got the gym is called Body Arc and then Richmond. We've got a lot of members from Richmond strong in Body Arc, vice versa. So it's actually becoming quite a community of people. And I think it's the, the people I've been looking for this whole time i found tribe so <laughs> yeah it sounds like
0: it most of us don't know where we belong and some of us for our entire lives you did find your tribe this is a great opportunity then to definitely like talk about you know like what we have been talking about knowing that it is a very safe space for all people. And so it would be a safe space for people that are perhaps sober curious or struggling with alcoholism or struggling in their recovery or great in their recovery, but looking for a new hobby with some like minded people. And then, you know, having you there leading leading the group, you know, as one of the people leading it, that's a great opportunity for for people that are looking for a hobby or something to fill that void when they find that they have all this time when they stop drinking and find something that they can be passionate about and do it with people that are happy to be around each other.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So if anyone wants to follow me on social media, my Instagram is at Pixie Trainer. And that's P-I-X-I. There's no E. So p-i-x-i trainer if you want to follow richmond strong that's the best way to keep informed about our upcoming events and any opportunities we have for volunteering sponsorship or event registration by the way all of our events are beginner friendly so anyone can sign up so if you're also competing, curious, then <laughs> it, they're definitely good events to start off with before going into like a more sanctioned event. Anyway, so the um, the Instagram for that is at Richmond underscore Strong, and then um, if you want to follow our gym, it's Body Arc A R C, and that is at underscore Body
0: underscore Arc. Okay. Thank you very much for that. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners that maybe might feel uncomfortable in that kind of situation can find comfort in this, and and maybe find a place that they find a tribe too, like you did. That would that would just be a wonderful thing. And with all the work that you guys do with like suicide prevention and mental health, it all it all goes together. You know, Laura May. You know how it pieces together and it's it's a beautiful thing. all the work you're putting into this, and the foundations that you're benefiting, and the people in our community that may not may be a little bit underserved comparatively to some others and finding that niche and going with it and it being part of your recovery, so i I I do want to ask you, like, before we wrap up the podcast, um, when it comes to your recovery, what is your basic day-to-day routine or thought process or just wh- whatever it is that you do? Because you, I know that you had experience in AA. You may not be there anymore. It works for some for a while. Some people stop. Some people carry on some of it. Don't go back to the rooms, though. Everyone's recovery is different. But what is it that you do? And I really want to hear your honest answer, to because, you know, for our listeners are here to sober out loud for the ones that are suffering in silence. So anything mm-hmm. that you have to offer is going
1: to be helpful. Do you mind telling us? Not at all. So... Every day I write in a journal. I write gratitude and um, I also write what I want my life to look like. So, and I think like the gratitude aspect really connects me to whatever the higher power is. What because I am very thankful for everything that sobriety has allowed me to grow. And I definitely wouldn't have this this life that I have now without it. As far as meetings and being in AA, I started out in AA, as I said before, I did the the meetings every single day and for 90 days. And then I would at least attend a couple meetings per week. And I did this for years. And I think the pandemic changed a lot of things like it did for a lot of people. And that's like When I kind of slowed down on going and I'm not like you said, recovery looks different for everyone and um, what works for them might not work for other people. And it's not that I don't believe that meetings aren't useful or the program isn't useful but I think it was I've entered a part in my life where I'm feeling well on my own and I'm doing things um, for my own mental health and for my own spirituality and I'm surrounding myself with really good people and I'm I'm giving to my community around me and I feel full and I feel like my life is complete and there's nothing really lacking there if now that's this ever I'm feeling weird and I think maybe I need to go back I definitely will and I will have no qualms about that and I won't feel any shame towards towards going like because there's nothing wrong with that and I think that that yeah meetings are very helpful and that's definitely what I needed when I first got sober so i was definitely one of those people too that was like oh it's so culty but get over yourself and just fucking go because it <laughs> it helps it so does be that
0: person <laughs> it does for some people and like you said you know like you could stop going but you still still have that foundation. And like everything that you explained to me after I just asked you that question about what you do on a daily basis, you have a spiritual connection. You feel fulfilled, which builds your self-worth. You are humbled by what you do. And you know that... If you are feeling some kind of way, which is not your normal way that you feel every day, that you can either go to your spiritual power or if ever, the rooms are always there and will welcome you with open arms like they've never opened them before. And and that's a beautiful thing to hear because you're... It's kind of like you're living those foundations with without necessarily doing the 12 step program. I mean, you know the 12 step program. You've done it before, but I think it's good for our listeners to just hear that you can have spiritual fulfillment, emotional fulfillment, behavioral changes, surrounding yourself with people that have the energy that you're looking for and and service. You said giving back service. The what you are a part of is giving back to the community of Richmond. That is I mean, you know in AA that's what keeps us sober and there's nothing like giving back to to whatever it is and you work your ass off to do it. Very admirable. Just really glad you could be here to share your story. Thank you. Is is there anything else, Laura Mae, that, um, that maybe we didn't ask you? I don't know. You just kind of got inspired and you're like, I have this burning desire that I think I should say this, and I want to
1: say it before I leave. All I can say is it, to anyone who's sober curious, it takes work, but it's worth it. And also – Just because you get sober doesn't mean life is automatically going to be easier. So don't like just quit for a month and be like, ah, this is trash. And then give up because (laughs) you actually have to go through it for a little while for things to get better. But it does get better. It does get better.
0: And find that passion, right? Yeah,
1: find something you're passionate about. Find Find that tribe.
0: Trial and error. Mm -hmm. Try things out. Try another thing out. You know, you never know what it's going to be. And you at 37, well, I guess a few years ago, really, you found your tribe, but found it. We're people who were three, five, seven years old and were like, I don't know where I belong. I'm not part of anything. All the way until adulthood. I don't belong anywhere. I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. How am I going to be comfortable in a group of fucking people? And then you find that, you hold on to that because that fulfills the heart that there's nothing like that. Thank you so much for you know, telling us about your story and really telling us about your kind of like alternative look on recovery and how it is successful for you, how you do involve those like kind of key things, but just in a different way. And hopefully some of our listeners will be hitting you up and being like, hey, you know, can I sign up for this? And so you'll have to keep us posted when it comes to that. Definitely.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. will do all awesome. right
1: well thank we'll... you so much for having me it was a lot of fun that intro was oh. thank you so much to all our listeners
0: if you like what you heard tune in next sunday at 6 p.m eastern time for another episode of salty moms gone sober be there or be square and in the meantime stay salty stay sober stay sane peace